Welcome to the Fund Marketing Secrets Podcast. Our hosts are Matt Kraus, that's me, and Baldwin Burgess. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by Mehmet Yazija. Mehmet, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, my name is Mehmet Yazija, obviously. I'm the founder and managing partner of TRP Capital. Uh, based in Istanbul, Turkey. TRP Capital is an independent private investment firm focused on investing in growing and innovative companies in Turkey. Uh, we usually strive to be the preferred SME-focused uh, investment manager uh, with an operational mindset. And uh, we have a portfolio of uh, currently 11 uh, companies. Uh, and we're probably the only firm uh, in Turkey that deals both in venture as well as private equity. And uh, we are a small firm founded in 2012. And Mehmet, you mentioned uh, in, in one of our conversations before the podcast, you mentioned that sometimes an LP will advise, don't pitch it like that. What kinds of things do you see people doing that, that might make an LP say, hey, don't do it like this? A lot of times the LPs will not comment on your pitch at all and then we'll make fun of you after you leave uh, but I really find <laughs> uh, that's so true uh, the uh, feedback uh, to be really really useful and uh, more experienced LPs or LPs who you have a good relationship with will give you uh, feedback uh, that really uh, it's not their story so they don't comment on content as much but they will help you uh, the right LPs will help you clarify your message, highlight what needs to be highlighted, and really emphasize uh, areas they find useful. So uh, a lot of times the fund manager uh, has a story, and from the fund manager's perspective, it's a really exciting story uh, with lots of details, and they jump into their story with force. Uh, but on the other hand, you on the other side, you have LPs who obviously are not as familiar, and they can get lost in that story. And so uh, feedback, uh, basically, uh, I've gotten in the past was don't spend as much time on this point, uh, but really put emphasis on this other point. These, this slide or this area is confusing. Uh, you're mixing messages. You're putting matching or numbers together that shouldn't be together. And if you presented this, this would be more effective if you let... Uh, additional team members speak, uh, that would be uh, more useful. These are uh, these seem to be simple nuts and bolts uh, uh, pieces of feedback, but uh, in the excitement of pitching, uh, you may forget them. And, and sometimes you prepare uh, to using old methods and, uh, and listening to the LPs. And if the LP is willing to give you feedback, uh, has been very, very useful, especially for us. Mehmet, you mentioned uh, uh, that sometimes the, the LP will, or will give feedback like, hey, uh, de-emphasize this point and emphasize that point instead. Can you give us uh, like some examples? What, what do you often see? Things that should be de-emphasized, things that should be emphasized instead. Depending on the pitch, I mean, in our case, Turkey is a uh, new market uh, for private equity. There are still very uh, small number of uh, independent managers in the Turkish market. So 
uh, talking about track record in Turkey isn't, although you may have a good track record, uh, isn't as useful as how you're going to access deals. Why are deals you're accessing different? How you deal with uh, specific deal flow uh, and especially in emerging markets, the concept of private equity is new. And how do you uh, both uh, find deals that understand that and make sense? So uh in our case uh, go away from the feedback was well spend less time on numbers uh because we can see them and it's not font 6 uh, so we can't look at a history of 50 deals uh but really focus on what makes you unique accessing this market how did you uh, give us real concrete examples of in market action uh, in terms of acquiring uh, deals, executing deals, and potentially e exiting them. So they wanted more live uh, uh, live examples, to be honest. Saying like I find it extremely refreshing to see that you spend so much time on on how you're going to position the story and the, or the thesis, better said. And, and it's interesting, you seem to have a um, think about this in terms of, of components or formulas. I'm really curious to know, like, how does that then work with you uh, or your team? Uh, do you uh, have do you use intuition to know which story to give to a limited partner, uh, or how does that exactly work? How do you figure out exactly which thesis or what focus you're going to be applying? Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as the fund thesis, it's it's our core, and it's always the same. And we do have a uh, when we do fundraise, we try to prepare in advance. Uh, where we may be just two people, three people, four people. So we have scenarios which we have rehearsed extensively. So we know our stuff uh, when we sit down. But what changes really uh, based on the LP, based on how much time we have, based on how much we know them, they know us, uh, the type of articulation changes. So uh, and in that, uh, especially if we know them and uh, we know what they're looking for, then we'll move our emphasis. In some cases, we'll focus on the operational impact uh, or we will highlight certain uh, case studies. I mean, I find it, we find it most useful to go through case studies of deals, uh, how uh, we source them, how we impact the operations, how is it going. And uh, so depending on uh, the LP, we may spend more time on a specific case or if we're looking uh, to talk about a pipeline, we may uh, discuss a pipeline uh, piece uh, that maybe uh, that maybe we know that LP has had exposure to uh, the sector before, or if the LP has a a knack or interest in co-investments, we'll focus on that. Uh, so, uh, and this is a, a pre-meeting prep that we we do, and uh, and we go through all of our uh, interactions with the LP, and then uh, make specific uh, adjustments to our presentation to make sure that meeting is not only useful for us, but also most importantly, useful for the LP to get to know us and whether or not we are a fit for their, for their program. Oh, interesting. So we're always looking for things that the audience can actually take away and work with, right? But does that then happen? Is it just a formal process where you say like, okay, for next week, we're going to prepare this meeting? Or is it something that happens on the fly on the road or in the taxi? Or uh, no, <laughs> usually we try not to do it in the taxi unless I mean, we're. I mean, sometimes we're in London and in one day we have to have four meetings, and 
but uh, usually uh, we use uh, uh, during fundraising time we use specific uh, weekly meetings not our regular monday meeting but specific uh, weekly meetings about fundraising who we're going to talk to when we're going to talk to them and so usually a meeting plan is prepared in advance and people know what they're supposed to do uh, and uh, and it's 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 training to be honest i mean just like uh, you do formal exercise uh, the more you do it the better fit uh, you are and this is uh, the same way now Mehmet, that's that's extremely useful because i think it's quite unique that you have such a discipline around it and um, as you say i guess you've seen the benefits because you've doing it for a while and that's why you've built a process around it so i congratulate you for having that and i think uh, many people in the industry can take uh, some very very good notes from this on how important this is to to actually prep that meeting in in detail like you do so thanks for that uh, one of the things that you mentioned before the podcast was the importance of the management team uh, at the portfolio companies needing the storytelling skill too. Uh, so could you tell us some of the things that you like to see them do and maybe some of the things that make you cringe? Sure. Uh, storytelling in general is part of our business. Uh, painting a picture of the investment thesis, what we'd like to do, what are we trying to accomplish and telling that story both to our investors as well as to the investee company, employees, management team is very, very important. And storytelling is a skill as well as an effort. And the management teams, the CEO uh, in most cases and the CFO, are part of the storytelling effort and they're part of the investment thesis and they carry strong, heavy responsibility in delivering uh, that investment thesis. So uh, using the storytelling, it's much easier to uh, paint a picture of what, how, when are we going to accomplish and how that's going to result in the investment thesis becoming a reality, turning into a success. And uh, we want the management team to emphasize that from the beginning. and. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a skill and an effort, and uh, the more effort you put into it, the more you get out of uh, the storytelling effort. Do you find that uh, uh, this is the, the storytelling skill, is it a skill that comes naturally to the CEOs and CFOs that you're working with, or do you need to train them on how to do it well? Uh, it's a leadership skill, mm -hmm. and if they're an experienced uh, CEO, they have had the opportunity to tell stories before mm -hmm. uh, because stories motivate people uh, more than numbers can ever do and they make your effort more meaningful mm -hmm. and so most of the time we see CEOs having the skill or part of it and then uh, whenever we make a contribution to their effort is to help them clarify, to help them really spend time and make sure they know that we value that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, when they put effort against it, usually the results are very, very positive and they get the job done. What makes us cringe uh, is two things. Sometimes, uh, despite your best efforts, the management team will skip the story part mm -hmm. and you end up with hard numbers, 
a motivational speech, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. But uh, then you lose a lot of the uh, context of a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, what can be also sometimes happening is they, uh, the management team may put themselves as the hero mm-hmm. of the story mm-hmm. okay. and use it as a self-promotional uh, opportunity. Um, uh, however, uh, in a regular story, the listener is the hero. So the listener needs to be engaged. Yeah. And if the management team ends up trying to be the hero, mm-hmm. then the point of the story gets lost. Do you, uh, do you give any formal coaching to the, to the management team about how to tell a story? Or? Not really. Formal coaching is beyond our uh, capability. Uh-huh. But we do have uh, a consultant uh-huh. based in London okay. who will, from time to time, help uh, CEOs uh, in their presentation skills and their storytelling skills. That we use him more for uh, important fundraising uh, mm-hmm. efforts, but uh, having been in those sessions multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, we also learned a little bit here and there. Uh, but the fundamentally, as he always says, the purpose of a story is to energize, mm-hmm. to give a mental picture, a roadmap of what we're trying to do or what we've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And if we do that right, then uh, the story is always the listener and they know where they fit, how they can take action, which is what we're trying to do. When you talk about the, the storytelling skills, you uh, tend to talk mostly about the, the CEO, uh, needing the storytelling skill from the CEO. Let's talk about the, the CFO. Is the CFO playing a different role? What's, what, what do you need in particular from the C, or CFO? Uh, obviously, the CFO's role is very critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of the most critical uh, positions in a, in a portfolio company. And what we usually do is change the CFO. So we recruit a new CFO and bring them on board mm-hmm. uh, with a fresh view of the company and what we're trying to accomplish with the investment thesis. And so we use that time during the onboarding with the CFO to really help them understand what we're looking for as an investor. Mm-hmm. The reporting mechanics, the picture that we want to see from the CFO's perspective, the KPIs, etc. Mm-hmm. And part of that discussion uh, is also help the CFO understand their role uh, with the CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in our view, the CFO is the navigation officer on a ship. Mm-hmm. And as in that role, they have to know what the risks are. Mm-hmm. Where are we? How fast are we going? Mm-hmm. What kind of risks do we have in our, uh, on our uh, map mm-hmm. forward? Mm-hmm. And we expect the navigation officer to feed the captain, who's the CEO, yeah. with those uh, numbers, but also with that background. Um, so uh, the storyteller in a portfolio company is usually the CEO, mm-hmm. but the CFO has a critical role writing that story. Okay. So they obviously need to own the numbers. They need to be very good with the numbers. Mm-hmm. But what do the numbers mean? What's that context? And we need the CFO to have that context. So you can, uh, we, we can think of the CFO as the, uh, the story writer 
of the story that the CEO is going to deliver. Is uh, one of the, the two roles, like the, the CEO role and the CFO role, is one of them uh, typically lagging behind in storytelling skills? Is one of them typically better? I would imagine that the CEO would typically be the better storyteller and maybe the CFO would be a little bit drier. Of course, because uh, in the CFO role, in most of the cases, the person coming into that role hasn't, was never asked to do storytelling, was mm -hmm. never asked to do uh, a similar uh, effort. Mm -hmm. And so you, you see people uh, you, you see people coming into a role and finding that very challenging, mm. but uh, you also see very creative approaches mm. to presenting numbers. Mm. Uh, we don't prescribe how everything is, needs to look, uh, but uh, if we can give them a, a good idea, a good outline of what we're looking to listen, mm. uh, then they can fill it in. Okay. And, uh, and we find that, uh, that female CFOs, mm -hmm. women, tend to be uh, better CFOs in general, but also better storytellers in that regard. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, tell me more, like, why do you think female CFOs are, are tend to It's be part of uh, experience over a long period of time. Uh -huh. uh, basically, uh, we've, I was, I've always invested in small to medium enterprises. Mm -hmm. And so there's a growth story, uh, and in a small to medium enterprise, as you're growing, uh, your forecasts tend to be uh, less educated than, let's say, a Fortune 500 company. Uh, sure, sure. So you need to plan ahead, and you need to plan your forecasts, you need to know what your team is telling you, and so a female CF, our, my experience, our experience says, female CFO, companies with female CFOs tend to hit their forecasts much more predictably, mm -hmm. uh, take more calculated risks, mm -hmm. and end up overperforming mm -hmm. their forecasts uh, more often than male CFOs. Okay. Uh, this is not a sexist approach, but uh, a reflection of experience. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, there are some uh, experiential figures mm -hmm. where women as mothers or as uh, captains of their home, mm -hmm. whether or not they're married or not, uh, or having role models in their home with their moms, mm -hmm. uh, tend to have a, uh, tend to fit this navigational officer role better. Okay. Uh, that's, again, our experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mehmet, let's uh, switch gears again and go back to the, the LP relationships uh, for, for, for a moment. You mentioned uh, before the podcast and the conversation before the podcast, you mentioned the importance of relationships. And you said that some of the relationships that you maintain go back years. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you need to start building a relationship years before an investment is placed? Uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, relationships. I mean, both venture capital and private equity are relationship businesses, and you have relationships with your team, your sources, advisors, co-investors, LPs, and uh, relationships are really the true capital of our business. I've, 
I've been without capital. I've run out of capital, uh, of cash kind, but not of relationship kind. And, and I was able to uh, come back to the uh, capital side of the business very quickly. Uh, so fundamentally, uh, those relationships really make or break your business. And in that, re LP relationships are critical part of your long-term success. Uh, do you need a long-term relationship with an LP to get a commitment from them? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, uh, but what LPs uh, do for you, uh, they, they do other things uh, beyond capital. So uh, fundamentally, uh, creating LP relationships who are not your investors, but who are thought leaders, like-minded uh, thought leaders, uh, who are investing in your geography or your sector or your style, or even active in secondaries, uh, are very, very useful long-term. Uh, because. Uh, what you're doing is learning from them, getting to know them, letting them to get to know you. And when it's time to ask for capital, uh, you may not be the right fit for their current program. They may have just changed jobs. Uh, so the investment that you make in an LP relationship is not a one-to-one -one, uh, in terms of uh, getting return for it. But you should really have those relationships, not just for capital, but for personal contribution to your what you're trying to establish what I found with those relationships uh, for example RLPs I was I worked in the US for more than a decade prior to returning to Turkey and the LPs in the US uh, are not the same LPs uh, uh, that are here uh, from those early LPs I got feedback referrals references and and uh, and also leads into uh, potential other uh, LPs who I didn't even know existed. So uh, long-term relationships will do a few things. Uh, if you're uh, raising new capital, they can get you early support, uh, and uh, they'll be usually your first commitments uh, and an indication to the market or other LPs that you're a, a worthy fund to be considered. Uh, so help you along the way uh, after they make a commitment or if they can't make a commitment with referrals, references, and in general, moral support as you go along. Uh, so not found uh, any LP relationships that I've cultivated uh, going to waste. And, uh, but I also have not made the mistake thinking somebody I've known for 10 years will invest into whatever I create uh, because we know them, because they know me. Uh, so, uh, really, uh, the investment uh, into an LP relationship or many LP relationships should be with a long-term view, uh, with a holistic view, uh, rather than uh, looking for your next commitment. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. We used to call those people our fans because they, they actually behave like them. Um, they'll, uh, they'll go out of their way. To find you those other people just like them it's it's and when you get worn out about trying to build new pipeline and and you you start ignoring those existing clients not only do you get an empty pipeline but you know the other side starts capsizing as well so i fully agree with you it's so important yeah and i mean lps uh, motivations priorities and careers change so yes and uh, so really building that human relationships uh, gives you an opportunity to uh, help back, contribute back, yes. uh, and give them other opportunities in many new areas. So 
it's a it's because this relationship only works when both sides win and so uh, ideally uh, we are we build good long-term profitable relationships uh, but uh, keep in mind that they will be very very useful uh, over the long term Fantastic, Mehmet. Thanks so much for sharing all this with us. It was very, very insightful. And I think our listeners are going to take away a lot of great ideas from this podcast. Listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Mehmet, he can be found at trpecapital.com. That's TR as in Turkish Republic, PE as in private equity, capital.com. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back very soon.